Some people collect stamps, precious stones, or artifacts from another time. Me, I collect stories. I love stories that come out of conversation because they hold so many things all at once. Memories, emotions, lessons, new perspectives, comic relief, and so much more. They have the power to move us, to open our hearts, to connect us, to heal us. Stories offer a window into another person's universe, and I get to see what it's like to experience life from their eyes. They are an invitation to celebrate what makes us unique and what makes us the same. But most of all, I love how stories bring us together. How they harmonize us. How they remind me that each one of us is an essential voice in one glorious symphony. Welcome, my friends, to the harmony of stories. Hey, everyone! You are listening to episode two. Of the Harmony of Stories podcast. Once again, thank you for being here. It is March twenty first, Tuesday, twenty twenty three. So I'm still vibing in these spring equinox energies. I hope you're all feeling well. And if you're not, I'm sending you the biggest hugs. Today, I am going to share with you my first guest. For the podcast, my friend Shamay, who I met in Texas, and him and his wife live in Kentucky now too. They are in Stanton, Kentucky. That's about two hours drive from where I live currently, and it's it's a beautiful place. They live up on a on a mountain or a hill on a ridge, and on the way to. Their house. My favorite part is driving past their neighbor's house. This man who had built two、um, big water wheels that he uses to capture water that comes down from the mountains, and he converts that to electricity. And it's breathtaking. And I don't know. It gives me so much joy to see it. I hope I'll get to meet him one of these days. But、um, yeah, so it was a few weeks ago now when I recorded my interview with Shamay, and I was feeling good on the way there. But when we got to it, you know, when we were sitting down and we were getting ready to record, I got I, I started feeling a bit nervous, and I was a bit annoyed with myself because I, you know, I had been feeling really confident up until that point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I started to feel nervous, and I told, I shared that with him. I told Shimei I'm nervous, and he said, "I'll say a prayer, so you won't be nervous." So we closed our eyes, and he said a prayer, and it it helped. I felt better, and before that, he was being so helpful with setting up the sound. You know, we tested out the different modes on the microphone and. Did a few tests, listened back, and and all that. 
He's starting a podcast as well, which I'm I'm really looking forward to. So once that's live, I'll I'll include a link to that in the show notes. So before we begin, I wanted to take a few moments to express my gratitude to everyone who has been so supportive and encouraging to me, you know, for this for this podcast. Just people who have been you know been there for me and the ones who've believed in me. I uh I got the idea or the the message um to do this podcast early this year, early January. And since then I've I've had to really look at a lot of things within myself that that came up. You know, things like self-doubt and all of my limiting beliefs and my fears and insecurities about putting myself out there and sharing more of myself and what goes on in my mind and and my heart my fears around being seen and yeah i had to really look at all the ways that i've been unkind and unloving to myself and and i was able to just kind of take a step back and look at all that and send love to all of those parts of myself and it's been a process but i'm i'm grateful for every every bit of it so let me see <laughs> i'm just getting comfortable here i apologize i i know i'll get better at this and some days maybe i'll start to talk faster but i usually record in the mornings when the whole household is asleep and so you know that's why i've got this kind of slow chilled out vibe i'm still waking up to the day so the first person that i want to say thank you to is my husband sam he's always been so supportive of all of my side gigs and ideas and i don't know just all the crazy things that that i talk about he listens well and he's just been such a rock you know so stable and constant and he's been he stayed strong for us for me and my family through all the ups and downs in the last almost 10 years of us building and creating together so grateful for him and yeah this podcast and really a lot of other things wouldn't be possible without without him so thank you happy i want to thank my soul sister colibri she has brought me so much healing and clarity and she's always believed in me We've been together for a very 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 long time and yeah I just I don't know what I'd be or where I'd be without her so thank you she actually <laughs> encouraged me to create my own music for the podcast which I was terrified of doing and I went through all the you know <laughs> cycles of oh my gosh I'm totally incapable of doing that and you know you get my drift <laughs> a lot of us probably go there but i did it and i was able to do it because of her her love and and of how she sees me and that means a lot and she knows that 
I don't even want to try to find more words because there are just none. <laughs> and I want to thank my soul brother, Michael. He's been... Yeah, I don't really have the words for him either right now. <laughs> but um, he's, he's taught me a lot, for sure. We've healed, transmuted, and shifted a lot of dense energies together and had a lot of good fun laughing at ourselves along the way. Thank you also to my friend Keith, who has helped me with the technical side of things. He helped me to choose my microphone and um, we talked about audacity and, and recording and, you know, the kiki part of it. <laughs> and he's just been so enthusiastic too. I love his energy. And my wolf pack soul sisters, Tara and Alex and Natasha, who I have the pleasure of seeing and our Zoom calls every morning before we start our day. They have been so amazing and just, you know, I'm sorry guys, I have no words today <laughs> for this immense gratitude that I have. I just feel so very blessed. But they've just really cheered me on and inspired me. Just incredible people. My soul sister, Naima, who sent me so much love and encouragement when I was getting cold feet. You know, I kind of had my final moments of trying to decide if I really want to do this. And, you know, I mean, I knew I was going to, but it was just that kind of the last moments of my ego kind of thrashing about, I suppose, trying to protect me. <laughs> Our ego's not bad. Everything has a purpose. <laughs> but um, yes, Naima, I've told her how much she's helped me with this. Also a very inspiring lady. So amazingly grateful for everyone who's who's been by my side through my um process my awakening my ongoing evolution so without further ado let's listen to my chat with shimei i love you all good rising everyone i am so honored to have shimei as my first ever guest for my podcast he is a visionary and I am just so grateful to know him. He's definitely been one of those people who have changed my life and my family's life. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the first time I met him. It was at the Dallas, no, not the Dallas Farmer's Market. It was at the Frisco Farmer's Market. And I was market hopping at the time because I wanted to ask everyone where I could find some raw milk. And Shimei was behind all these beautiful vegetables, and he introduced them to me so theatrically. <laughs> <laughs> and he just made them sound so good, and I knew that I wanted to try them. They were all grown organically. Um, and I bought a lot of stuff, and I, went, I came back every week, and they're the most delicious vegetables I've ever had, um, even to this day. So welcome, Shimei, to the podcast. Thank you. That's a hard intro to live up to, but I'll do my best. <laughs> and what I love about you too, another memory that I want to share is when we first um, saw your property here in Kentucky, you took us out in your truck and we were on the trails and you stopped the truck because you wanted to show me the soil 
and you asked me to smell the soil and I love smelling soil. You said, look at this beautiful soil, this black yeah. gold. And um, I love that about you because you're very childlike and you have that sense of wonder. <laughs> so um, could you start by telling us where we are today, where you're living now and how you found this magical place? Okay, so the first part is where we are now, as I understand it. We're in the Red River Gorge in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, in the heading towards the rising sun from Lexington, Kentucky, about a half hour. Uh, very beautiful place. It's interesting because when I was very young, um, in my 60s now, as I was very young, I always had this draw to the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, society in Hollywood had it, had it as a backwards country, kind of negative thing, like movies like Deliverance, negative thing, the Appalachians. But there was something in me that seemed like the people were more, more than that. And so it was exciting when my wife and I felt the uh, calling to this area. And so we're again in the Red River Gorge of uh, Kentucky, in the Rising Sun side of the state, and uh, up on a we have a mountaintop valley. And what was the second part? Um, how you found the story of how you found this property, and I guess a little bit about the history of it, because that's interesting too. Yes, it's uh, we found. Uh, the property during what I call the pandemic. It was in the summertime of 2020 uh, during the lockdowns. We were living in Texas at the time, sold our organic, uh, spiritually based teaching farm there in the market presence where we were, where we met you. And uh, we were, it was very interesting because. I had met someone when we were selling our property in Texas, our farm, and prior to meeting you, and he was moving from Colorado and looking for a more, what I'd say, conservative, uh, healthy, spiritually-based environment, sustainable. And he came and looked at our place and our market presence, because we were selling that to the farmer's market presence we had there. And he... Uh, uh, end up staying over and we had some very interesting conversation but he decided against relocating to Texas mainly because he said his wife didn't like snakes even though we didn't have a lot of snakes <laughs> but it wasn't meant to be and they ended up in upstate New York so we uh, hadn't talked to him for a while on the phone and my wife and I after we sold our farm our farm excuse me in Texas uh, we, in the summer of 2020, we were in our motorhome traveling for ministry and helping to educate people in a more mobile format. And I felt an impression one day from our Heavenly Father to urgently to call my friend Matt. And that's the person I'm referring to. And I was supposed to go see him immediately. Rob and I were supposed to. And lockdowns were going on. And at this time, New York had just announced that people from Texas, if they were flying in, were going to have to quarantine from the, the COVID stuff going on. And so I called him and I said, Matt, and I hadn't talked to him for months. 
I said, uh, I need to talk to you because I felt a leading from Father that we were supposed to come see you. And he goes, wow, this is, I uh, can't remember the word he used, this is ironic or something along those lines. He goes, I can't go into detail now, but it would be a good idea for you all to come. So we hopped in our motorhome and headed to upstate New York. It's been a beautiful, almost a week with Matt and his family and uh, on a ministry trip mainly. And we were headed back, coming through uh, from north to south, headed back to Texas uh, near the Tyler area, Jacksonville, Texas specifically. And we uh, were driving the motorhome coming through North Kentucky, headed south. I think it was probably Interstate 75. And I'll preface this by saying my wife and I have traveled a lot, and myself specifically, and so we both enjoy creation, but we don't normally get pulled to everywhere we see, wow, we gotta live there, because we've experienced a lot of beautiful creation. But there was something different, and my wife was actually, as I was driving south in central Kentucky by this time, she was taking a nap in the motorhome in the back, and I just felt really drawn to the area. I was getting close to Lexington, Kentucky, and I noticed the area, and it reminded me a lot of where we lived in Central America Highlands in Guatemala and Honduras. Wow. And... uh, we lived there for eight and a half years from 04 to late 2012. So it just kind of reminded me of that. I was just really felt drawn to the area, just the area. So my wife woke up and while we're driving, and I asked her to turn on the internet connection and uh, asked her to pull up some information about the area. So I asked her specific things to look up. I was just curious and weather and demographics and whatnot. And we ended up getting back to, ended up getting back to Texas and I couldn't shake it. For the next two weeks, I felt really drawn to the area and I was praying and I said one day to Father, I said, uh, you know, where, what are we supposed to do here? And I felt like we were supposed to have initially a smaller property to build out a, a ministry retreat. Okay. Yeah. To specifically host what's called the Feast of Yahweh, something called Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and to educate people as we had been in a spiritually faith-based homesteading lifestyle. And uh, so I pulled out a book of maps, and I'm like, where? And I felt drawn to the Red River Gorge part of Kentucky. I'd never heard of the Red River Gorge. I just felt drawn, focused to that area. And so I told my wife, I said, I think, I told her what was going on inside of me. And so we felt like immediately, no, actually first I went online and started looking, you know, basically five, seven to 15 acre tracks for the facilities we wanted to build out. At that time, we felt like we would still be traveling a lot on ministry and having this as a place to to host the retreat. Oh, I didn't know that. And, uh, yeah, and it was something we had planned previously in Texas, but never felt that it was yet time. Okay. And uh, so we jump in our motorhome, 
not knowing where to go. Oh, I keep saying I'm going to back up. So I'm going to back up, start looking online at properties. Almost everything said, and this was early August 2020, said pending sale, uh, under contract. And I started calling sellers, both agents and private sellers, because I was looking through Facebook. I was looking through Lands of America, private selling for sale by owner and the multiple listing service, MLS. And I'm seeing all these under contract, so I'm calling sellers, and I'm like, what's going on? They said, well, people are coming from all over wanting to homestead here, mostly from states that had a lot of lockdown problems, California, Illinois, New York, some Oregon, mm-hmm. but a lot of patriarch and matriarchs, the elders of families, wanting to get property for their adult children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on, and uh, looking for a place that was more safe in the uncertainty of the world at the time and just less frankly government control more conservative (laughs) more what i call libertarian Mm -hmm. and i thought that was interesting and so we ended up packing up the motorhome went to uh, kentucky first place we stayed was at a rv park near the ark encounter which we took you and your family to Yeah, recreation of Noah's Ark. Amazing man-made attraction. So we went there first. Really liked the spirit of the people. And then we went, we were there one or two nights. And then we were looking for an RV park near the gorge. Found one in the heart of the gorge. And set up our RV there. And had our vehicle on a trailer behind it. So we started looking for property. And... Uh, we looked at one or two, and then we had a Sabbath coming up, and it was a very interesting time because during when we were at the Red River Gorge during Sabbath, privately I felt impressed from Father Yahweh that it was not just supposed to be a property to host the feasts, It'd be a retreat, but we were also to make it our home base and a homestead for my wife. Because my wife's always been willing to serve Father on his terms, wherever it may be, under a bridge, in a motorhome, whatever. And I felt Father say that he wanted a nest for her. And this is a woman that's now 67. At the time, she was, what, 65, but just full life and willing to do whatever she's called to do so i told her what i was feeling and she broke down in tears Mm -hmm. and it was really her heart's desire she wanted to build a nest specifically for the children grandchildren whoever else Mm -hmm. of the larger family if you will not just blood but family of mankind that's beautiful like-minded yes and so I'm like, okay, Father, maybe we're supposed to have 50 or 100 acres so we'd have room for the retreat, for family members, whoever, and uh, community, if you will. And uh, so we started looking, but everything was under contract. We found one property. We were looking for four days. We found one property that was over 100 acres, and it was like 230 acres, had a nice home, had some facilities. The big home wasn't an issue. It had like a cabin home, but it had room for animal husbandry. 
but it only had about 50 foot of road frontage and it was very steep elevation so most of it wasn't usable and it was you know somewhere around 800,000 and we believe personally in conducting our ministry in life to do it debt free so we had to work within a budget and if we had to spend that kind of money it had to be for more than a cabin on a large property that couldn't easily host a lot of people okay and so it was starting to look like wow maybe it was we're going to have to go further out like moorhead we were willing to go to a place called moorhead which is kind of on the edge of the gorge near moorhead university beautiful rolling hills we really liked it looked at a property there that was oh about 120 acres it was it was a not a bad choice but i felt it was supposed to be in the heart of the gorge so we're back at the motorhome and i'm thinking father are we supposed to go to moorhead maybe i'm maybe i'm not seeing it right and i felt the impression go look at facebook marketplace for stanton kentucky and stanton and slade are the heart of the gorge and campton also and uh in the natural i'd be like come on there's nothing around here i've been looking all over well, up popped. Um, I felt that I was supposed to look in Facebook Marketplace, and I'm not promoting Facebook. <laughs> Facebook Marketplace, because we don't do Facebook, but I use the Marketplace yes. to buy and sell some things. And so I looked it up, and a listing had just popped up for listed as 300 acres in the heart of the gorge in Stanton. And I'm like, Wow. And so I immediately reach out through Facebook Messenger. I, I uh, re- responded to me was the wife of the gentleman who was the son of an elderly lady that was selling it. It had okay. been in the family for a while. And I start, and so she, the wife gave me the husband's contact number. I called him. I said, I want to come look at today. Can you tell me a little bit about it? He goes, yeah, we have a quarter mile road frontage. Like, that works good. Ends up later on, it's a mile and a half of road frontage. (laughs) So that was even better. Uh, He said, we have organic fruit trees and grapes and a big garden. I said, do you use chemicals or any non-organic amendments on your garden? Immediately, and he's in his 50s, and he said, oh, no, we don't believe in that. And that's a critical to us. We don't want contaminated soil. You mentioned the soil thing. And a few other questions, and uh, make a long story short, we came out immediately, and uh, we signed a deal that day. It was beyond what we expected, and they had just listed a couple days earlier. So we contracted, and it's a beautiful place. So we uh, wrote a check to uh, earn us money, and we ended up uh, proceeding to close towards the end of uh, 2020 and came on out with another family from Texas initially and arrived here. Uh, we were supposed to actually take possession on New Year's Day 2021. We arrived and rented an Airbnb in Stanton, like six bedroom because it was two families yeah. and they have a number of children. So we arrived and it was actually a blizzard when we arrived which is unusual for the area because the weather is very temperate here that was well, december you yeah it was december. we got here like december 26th or 27th and it was maybe down where you oh, were no 
Maybe but it first. was in Lexington. It was so nice. Oh, I'm going to back up. When we first came here, we drove into the Red River Gorge Natural Bridge State Park. That's where a lot of the pavilions are getting together. Okay. People getting together. And this is where a lot of the unnecessary masking was going at the time that it was around the country. Mm-hmm. We hit the pavilions in August 2020 and didn't see a mask in sight. No social distancing. The pavilion's full of families. Everybody wow. fellowshipping like it should be. And we're like, this is the kind of place. <laughs> and then when we sold uh, the the uh, actually when we contracted to buy the place we went into stanton to the liquor store we don't drink distilled liquor excuse me it's like i need to turn that thing off i didn't realize it was on and i see a sign on the door about masking apparently it was a government mandated sign we were going to get an organic beer to celebrate just one each my wife and i i opened the door and i said sir i hope you don't mind me not masking. He says, no, we don't drink that Kool-Aid around here. <laughs> I think he said government Kool-Aid. I was like, all right, this is my kind of place. I mean, there's when there's due caution, there's a reason for it. But not when there's, I don't want to get off on another tangent. That's okay. Have a problem with it? We'll turn it down. Oh, no. It's, it's all the way it's down. Right down. That's fine. Is it a little okay. strong? Yeah. Yeah, it's my voice. I can back up a little bit. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Yeah. And so it was, it's just, it was, we're feeling that it was meant to be. Mm. And so uh, the next part, I think you said, is kind of what our vision here is. We call it Hallelujah Haven. It's a haven of praising the Father through... Not just praising Father, but when we have a naturally, practically healthy, spiritually healthy, physically healthy lifestyle, that's a haven in the times we live in. I agree. And I, we believe that can only be obtained in, according to the Creator's design. So that's where the hallelujah comes from. Mm-hmm. Praise you, y'all. So it's a haven in life of praising Him through a lifestyle it's according to the design. Our, our tagline is out of Jeremiah 6, 16. It says, uh, basically it says, uh, stand at the crossroads and see and ask where the ancient ways are and walk in them where there's rest for your souls. Wow. And that's really what the world's looking for is rest for their souls. In the Hebrew, the rest means safety, peace not just relaxation. Mm. And it's actually an end-time prophecy, and that's the times we're living. We're not going to find true peace through something new, but going back to the ancient past. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and it wasn't that long ago, but it was a much simpler life, and I would mm. talk to our elders or farmers in the middle of the United States, Kansas, and I remember the stories. Everything was more simple. And we see going further back, there wasn't the hostility, the deception, the anger that's going on right now. And so this is a place in a practical way where people can find rest for their souls. Safety, you know, learning Father's creative design, how we interact with one another, with his environment, 
with uh, animals because animals are created to be helpers to us. Mm-hmm. So not to exploit them, but to learn from them and and uh, to, to utilize their strengths, yes, their living strengths. So uh, what else? Do you remember, because you were speaking uh, about your childhood and how it was a lot more peaceful then. Do you remember a time when you were like, things are different now? Oh, yeah. Well, because my, my life, well... Society was more peaceful. My forefathers or my elders was more peaceful, but I grew up in not a peaceful home. Very dysfunctional uh, combination of emotional, and I don't use that term lightly, emotional and physical abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother and father, who are both deceased, multiple marriages, unions, uh, you know, violence, family violence, and not good memories. So I actually only have two or three fleeting memories before the age of eight years old. A lot of that's blocked out, and I don't attempt to Mm. go there. I've made peace with that, forgave, you know, my parents for known and unknown things because I believe in compassion is not acceptance, but it's understanding. Yeah. None of us came out of the womb a bad people, a bad person. Mm. But we learn things. And society, they learn from society very bad behaviors. I didn't make it acceptable, but I was compassionate in understanding, hey, they learned bad things and they passed them on. Yeah. So, like, for example, say there's an area a strength that I have that you don't have and you make a mistake, who am I to get angry at you when there's things that you may have better strengths that I don't have, mistakes I make? We need to be understanding, but accept to, with one another while not accepting the error. Not yes. saying, oh, the error's okay or the sin's okay. So we don't excuse the sin, but we understand that the person has an opportunity to overcome the mistake or the sin. And so... Um, societally when I was young was the simpler you know TV radio things were much more calm than they are now I'd hate to be the youngest generation going up right now it's tough for them but uh, in my home environment it was very very difficult I went into military uh, you know senior age in high school just to get away and uh, spent six years in that, saw a lot of things I shouldn't have seen, did a lot of things I shouldn't have done and seen, uh, put that behind me. Uh, out of those experiences and my youth, you know, dabbled in social, quote-unquote, recreational uh, drugs, not mm-hmm. really to the point of addiction, been around others a lot, but use, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, a young person, teenager in the 70s. Mm-hmm. That was sadly all too common. Yes. Apparently getting that way now. Made mistakes, had my brushes with the law, and ultimately, come 33 years ago now, I told my Heavenly Father that if, if he would reveal himself to me uh, in a way that I need to be revealed to, under, to know some truth from my life, 
I'd serve him the rest of my life because I was looking at serious trouble through, by that time, drug, recreational drug use and some selling of drugs in late 1990. And a set of events happened where he did just that. So I made a determination from that point to serve him on his terms and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And uh, that was the beginning of a new life, if you will. And that is culminating where we are right now. But in that, there's been a lot of experiences in the last 30 years for making a stand for right and for the uh, persecuted. That's brought some difficult times, too, from authorities and corporate interests. So. We always are trying to operate, my wife and I, in this ministry in a practical setting, a practical life-giving setting, but we've also had our brushes with forces, if you will, or entities that are against. They're more about holding people down. So we do some civil rights work, especially with incarcerated people and and uh, it's never, never-ending, uh, exciting path. Would you call it that? Yeah, for sure. As far as here now, uh, we are building a retreat. We purchased this property in the name of the ministry. What? Uh, well, we took possession. What? Two years and two months ago, more or less. We're building facilities to help uh, the ancient past. We plan on putting a foundry in, carpentry shop, sawyer, sawmill work uh, to teach people to uh, build and live off the land, utilizing materials on the land. Animal husbandry, of course, organic growing. We do everything non-hybrid, non-GMO. Yeah. my wife's very gifted at cooking and preparing food in a very pure and sustainable way. So she also teaches sewing and teach uh, people everything, how to make their clothes, how to take care of their animals, how to feed themselves, care for the environment. Uh, the analogy I like to use is we see a lot of atrocities nowadays, especially with young people. And I believe it has to do a lot with people living in the cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not an understanding of diversity, I think, because the city represents the work of man's hands. And so young people are growing up seeing iPhone 2 replace iPhone 1, 2 is replaced by iPhone 3, and so Mm -hmm. on. So as something gets older, there's not a value for maturity. It's something to be relinquished to the trash bin. So... People are seeing the newest thing is to be esteemed and not having any respect for something with age and experience. Even yes. people want to be younger. So we're, you know, we see people not respecting elders and learning from them. Yeah. Respect being appreciate what they have to bring to the family and to their life. But when you go out into the country, mm. you get more of the works of the creator's hands or mouth if you speak and you're interacting with that which produces life yeah you know your young people are caring for young animals 
that are exposed maybe need some health growing plants need health growing you value life more that way than you do in the city where there's not a respect for life because it's about merchandising so we're a belief that we want to be near enough to the built-up city areas where people can come out and learn from creation if you will the garden experience like the first man and woman were put into i love that so much I, I really, I love that. That is my vision also. Awesome. To, um, yeah, to walk people back towards remembrance of mm-hmm. the old ways and where they came from and, and how we're all connected to everything. Would you talk a bit about your time in South America and how that came to be? And when you were there, did you have a similar sort of vision or purpose that you were yes it was actually central america and uh in 2004 my wife and i had a blended family when we were married in 2000 we were married i was 39 at the time and she was 44 so we both brought children uh to the marriage most of them were uh out of the home they were older Still had at that time in 2004, uh, we had a younger one. And uh, so she was nine years old and she was five when we were married. Well, actually, I'm turning five. And we were not happy the direction we saw the country going. I didn't really, we really didn't want to raise the youngest one in this environment. That's where our mind was at the time. Yes. So we researched the world in a lot of scenarios. When I say research the the world, I'd spend about three years weekly online looking at cultures, monetary systems, society, growing conditions to find what we thought would be the most stable to raise a young one. And we settled initially on... At that time, we were considering uh, Honduras and Guatemala, initially Honduras. So it was October 2004. We took a land trip down there. We wanted to see what it was like traveling by land, too. And we, because we had the plan on expatriating and relocating to Central Mm -hmm. America. I had business in the United States, but that was easy enough to wind down because it was tied to the Internet retail and the internet and uh it was easy enough to sell off and wind down and that was the plan to use those assets to relocate because part of what we also wanted to do down there was to learn in a more simple society people say third world non-industrialized i just say simpler a simple society some of the ancient ways of agrarian living because i Upon research, I saw they still worked with animal teams and in the areas we were looking. It was in the mountains, the highlands, specifically in Honduras and Guatemala. So we took a trip down there in Honduras and in October, and we ended up contracting on a property, uh, actually contracted on two, but the initial one was around 100 acres in the highlands at about a 6,500-foot elevation above sea level. Just springtime weather year-round. Society was relatively simple at that time down there. I think the, there was a lot of politics and 
improper news broadcast on what it's really like down there as far as danger. Okay. It, right. Actually, the city, country we're living in arguably is you're more likely to be a victim of crime in the United States mm -hmm. statistically and uh, England than you are in Honduras or Guatemala, unless you're someone involved in maybe drug trafficking. Yes. But the common person is much less of a problem than here. Okay. So we ended up in a place called La Esperanza, Honduras, initially. means the hope in English. The hope. Yes. I love yeah, that. it was. We started to uh, build a simple place there in Adobe, specifically without electricity, choosing. We were staying in a place that had electricity, but we were building our residence without electricity. We wanted to learn no and live true agrarian, which we were on the weekends. You built it with Adobe? Yes, Adobe, and we also did concrete with stonework, mixing, dredging our own sand out of our own streams, uh, oh our own rocks. That's amazing. Uh, did, I love that we, so much. Even the top, the wood, the materials, building materials, the ceramic top, well, the uh, clay tile roofs, all from on the property wow. there. Did you have, uh, what was your living quarters? Well, well in town, we were living in an apartment while that was going on. Simple. Okay. This town was about 10, 15,000 people working, learning the language, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it so was you couldn't speak Spanish before? Or no, I didn't speak any. I'm fluent now, but when we first went down, we had a translator and we we didn't know there wasn't like real estate agents as far as we know so we're in this town in our vehicle and we pull over and we're looking at the translator and we're asking someone for uh uh tierra which is dirt or soil okay but translation, it said it was like land. So we thought we were asking where land for sale. We're asking where there's dirt for sale. <laughs> and the person's just looking at us like, huh? And it was a lot of events like that. But that's part of learning was immersion. We've had a lot of funny stories like that. But we found found the right place. We still have those properties down there. Um and uh, we were there from, it took us first two and a half years from October of 04 until somewhere early 08. We spent three weeks in the United States, two weeks in Honduras, flying back and forth, driving back oh and my. forth for two and a half years, winding things down the States. Also, because uh, we usually drive down and then fly back, bringing equipment down, possessions. Uh, and so we uh, also did organic farming on a commercial scale down there because the area we were from produced about 80% of Honduras's local uh, agricultural products, produce. Were you very fertile food before moving there? Is that where you uh, Well, I grew up gardening and I come from an agrarian. I was sixth generation of farming. Okay. But I was never, I was around gardening, intensive gardening a lot, and then the family farms. Mm. But this was my first experience at growing a lot. And so uh, through immersion, so 2005, 
And so we started growing about 70 different fruits, vegetables, and herbs. And so we've been full-time growing since 2005. So 18 years. And so we uh, and working with oxen, teams of oxen, and having uh, having sheep for wool at the time, and having a shepherd boy, and (laughs) and uh, working with uh, animal husbandry, working a lot with growing, and actually introducing to the area because the area Honduras hosts one of the top agricultural universities in the world called San Morano, which is heavily supported by Monsanto. So the people take pride in their modern growing practices. So we were using ancient practices and in 2010, I think it is, a plague went through there. They used the word plague. So disease came through and decimated a lot of the crops. Ours were living vibrant and healthy. We had also been in Guatemala and learn from some Mayans, a lot of ancient methods. And our stuff was just thriving. So it gave them, became an opportunity for us to, to let uh, the locals see to return back to their ancient past because they still had a lot of herbal healing. They knew a lot of the ways of growing, but they'd been told that they're mm-hmm. third world and that's not how first world grows things. So... <laughs> They would spend more money to grow unhealthier food. Yeah. So we started producing our own seed and seed bank. And a lot of our time there, where there eight and a half years, was to intensively learn the ancient ways of life. We thought we were going to be permanently, but a series of events happened in 2012, where in a very unique set of circumstances, maybe for another time, Father brought us back to the U.S., told us, showed us, we were not to be ultimately separatist. We were to be separate for a time down there, learning some things. But the ultimate goal was to bring it back to this country and help uh, his people in this country, uh, our culture we grew up in, see a better way of life through the practical application of his instructions for life, his instructions for living, growing, and living together. And so it was all part of his plan to bring us back here. Wow. What was it like to come back here after eight years? Well, in the natural, if it was just personal desire, I'd still be there. I love the place. Mm-hmm. love the people. But my heart is here for the calling that we have because the weather was high. We didn't have heat or AC. It was 70 to 75 in the shade year round during the day and 55 to 60 at night pretty much. Wow. And very simple. We have, you know, 300-foot waterfalls that you can drink the water, and that's common. What we'd see in a special park here was common there. But uh, there's a purpose here. Yeah. You know, and we we can't be just focused on what's our pleasure, uh, a selfish pleasure for us. It doesn't mean if someone wants to retire or live somewhere that's very pleasurable, we're not judging that. But we have a purpose in our life, and that purpose is at this time in this country. It may change, Mm. but we fully embrace where we are or what we're doing. And we wouldn't have met you and Sam and your family if if we hadn't come back. It was difficult at first because it was a shock because we were (laughs) used to local produce 
either grown or we go to the market and avocados were 10 cents us 10 cents us you know yeah, and like, like we a dollar 50 oh yeah we grew commercially strawberries and onions you're talking about onions yeah. onion, a lot of different produce but the reason we say commercially because if you grow on any kind of scale then you're going to have leftover mm. And that's the way our creator is. He's a loving father of exponential return. Mm-hmm. Where corporations want you to work, 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 and a lot of times don't even get what you're worth. You put your hard labor into father's design and you get exponential return. And that's that's something to be said for that right there. Yeah. Abundance. Abundance. That's a good word. Abundance, Abundance. and not lack. People searching. You know, it's interesting because when we first came back, we were gone during the 08, 09 financial housing bubble crisis in the U.S. We didn't know what to expect when we came back. Because from 08 to 12, we stayed down there. And uh, late 12, October to be exact. And uh, we didn't know what to expect. And we felt initially, well, we initially came back to Houston. We didn't know what to expect. And it's interesting because Houston is a melting pot. Apparently, it's become the most ethnically diverse city in the U.S., according to what really? I've studied. I've never been there. And I can see that. Yeah, for a city, it's not a bad place okay. at all. But when we came back, we saw in this country a different country than we left. We saw a country that was hungering for change. A lot of... I guess maybe the 08, 09 crisis, people are seeing the modern way of life is not sustainable. The materialism, we see the minimalist movement growing. We see the moving out of the city, moving back to the rural areas. And we saw, we were running into people, excuse me, we were running into people that uh, from all over, some immigrants from Arab countries, a lot from... uh, problems in the Arabic unrest, local people across the board wanting to know more about sustainable living. You know, that's a broad term. Healthy eating, um, just more in touch with Father's creation and really saw a hunger that we'd never seen in years. And being away from the States for a while, I guess you can notice it more when you come back. Yeah. Then if you're in the midst of it, like mm. any change, you know, you don't notice it as much many times when you're in the midst of it. But we were pleasantly surprised when we came back because we didn't know to what expect to expect. And a lot of things, there's a polarization happening in this country. Things are in some ways, in a societal way, are getting much more polarized, much more at odds with one another. But there is a movement for a hunger of simplicity that's taking place, too. And that movement is focused around uh, rural areas, country settings, countryside settings, homestead settings. You don't try to homestead generally generally in the middle of Dallas or New York. There are people. That's where you get locked down. Yes. (laughs) You don't get locked down on your 100 acres, your two acres, your three acres. Yeah. Well, we tried to homestead in McKinney, which is a North Dallas oh, yeah. suburb, and 
we didn't like that at all. <laughs> it was very constrained. And people didn't really like what we were doing or they didn't understand. Yeah, my, my wife shared with me the story of y'all's conversation to help bring you out of there. And <laughs> I, I think you're going to speak with her or maybe that can be touched on again. She yeah. shared that story with others too. And it's, you know, you can't replace action. A lot of people, the road to destruction can be paid with good intentions. But you all acted. Mm. And there's desires out there, but I encourage people to act on the desires. Don't be fearful. When our forefathers of Israel uh, came out of Egypt, and he's trying to bring them to the promised land, and they went in and sent spies in, and they came out with fat produce, a big <laughs> grapes, bunches <laughs> of grapes in abundance. But they were fearful of acting because of the giants they said they saw even though they had father in their midst. And the focus there is don't be worried about what may appear to be giants. Mm. Capitalize and take hold of the desire you have from your inner being that's led mm. in a healthy, righteous way. Act on that. You know, you certainly can't fail if you don't act, but you can't succeed if you don't act. <laughs> People are too afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of failure. Yeah. No such thing as failure. There's only learned lessons. Yeah. I, I really had to do a lot of inner work to come out of a state of fight or flight and a right. state of fear. And it's been life changing. To What I learned is when the moment that you actually face your fears, that's when you that's when it hits you that there is actually nothing to be afraid of. Mm. But you have to you have to face it to find that out, in my experience anyway. And um, so, yeah, now I'm pretty fearless. <laughs> I still get nervous in certain situations, but I'm not as afraid as I used to be in, in many ways, in different aspects of my life. Um, yeah, and I guess this is a good time to ask you about because what I, I look up to you because you you have a vision and you just you make it happen and you make it look so easy <laughs> and you seem very talented in you know finding the resources to to make things happen and you don't just sort of wait around like when you were moving here you were just like yeah you know I'm taking my semi truck to Texas every two weeks and moving all the stuff and I was just so impressed by that. You're just, you just do it. Yes. Yeah, I was listening to what you were just saying, Francis. And, you know, thinking back, I have a block before, before I was eight because of fear. I remember when I was a kid, one of the memories, I was always fearful in my closet, I think, because there was a lot of bad situations going on in our house. And so there was a lot of fear. So when I was able to go on my own, I actually probably went too far the other direction. I was actually too many times living on the edge, mm -hmm. the opposite of fear. I didn't allow a healthy fear to constrain me. And so uh, I've dialed it back. It's a lifelong, I believe, eternal process. It's not a destination. It's a process. So I'm learning 
to uh, temper it to a degree with some education, you know, check some things out. But I'm a firm believer that the only way you can be successful in any endeavor is to educate yourself. It doesn't take a lot of education. Talk to people that know, mm-hmm. not necessarily people that write about it, that mm-hmm. don't know or have an opinion, yeah. but experienced people and to act. And uh, don't be afraid to fail. Your pride has a lot of people, I believe, afraid to fail. It's okay to fail. You're not trying to impress anybody. Ultimately, you should be trying to impress anybody. You're trying to improve your life. Mm. And so, uh, I have found, I mean, you have to be resourceful and not everybody, for example, can be successful and say you buy a piece of property or you buy a piece of equipment or even a vehicle and utilize it, use it for its use, and then you turn it. Uh, there are people with different strengths and weaknesses. So if that's not your area of strength, strength search out someone that is, mm. communicate with them, and when they give you advice, act upon it. Yeah, I've seen people fail because it's not their area of strength. Mm. And then they'll ask you and then they'll t- start telling you why it won't work. And so I say, <laughs> are you asking or are you telling? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, be willing to not justify your fear by filtering what you don't want to hear through your filter of your fear. So in other words, don't just ask someone for the sake of, uh, consoling yourself, mm. act upon what they tell you. Yeah. You know, act upon what they tell you. Because really, success, if you look at history of people that quote unquote large scale or successful, if you want to determine success that way, most of them, first of all, didn't have degrees of enlightenment mm-hmm. called college degrees, <laughs> but they had a passion, they had a vision. If you've got a vision, if you got a desire, a hope, and it's a healthy one, and you got a passion for it, stay at it until you succeed and don't accept anything less. If you don't, then you're going to be burdened that you didn't, and you're going to find something else to consume that burden and that hurt. And it can be an addiction. It might be unhealthy food. It can be alcohol. It can be drugs. A lot of these things are unfulfilled passions that are medicated. So I believe what people should do is pursue, truly pursue, and don't worry about failure. I mean, seldom people are always give, almost always, excuse me, giving a worst case what if scenario Mm -hmm. that if that were to happen, if they had that good of chance of beating odds of being that unlucky, they should be playing the lottery. (laughs) I mean, sometimes people will drop, well, what about this? If this, if this, if this, if this, and this, I'm like, nobody could overcome all that. No, it's, it's a, it's a, a wall of protection. They think Mm. against making a mistake, be willing to make mistakes. Be willing. Don't worry about, I told you so. (laughs) Yeah. You know? 
and yeah, yeah I can resonate watch learn listen not from a textbook watch how people are doing it read how people are doing it. listen and don't project your emotions over people's experiences don't project your emotions over people's experiences learn from their experiences and let that which you learn from people's experience guide your emotions wow temper you. your emotions yeah emotional responses can come in all shapes and sizes and uh, be aware of that yeah awareness is the first step because yeah. if you're not aware of your emotions you're practically unconscious and the next yes and the next step surround yourself by people that are that are positive that won't don't surround yourself with people that agree with your justifications for not stepping out there yeah. get with people that are going to encourage you to follow your passion as long as of course your passion is something that's healthy for you and your fellow man and yeah. those around you and that's the assumption we're making healthy pursuits but uh, don't surround yourself don't waste time listening to naysayers it's not where there's a abundance of counsel there's a stability there's a proverb you know don't you know don't there's also a proverb that says don't grab an angry angry dog by the tail <laughs> so if someone's unhappy and bitter that's not where you latch on to latch on to the people that are doing and or have had successes in their passions yeah have you had a lot of naysayers or you just tend to gravitate away from them <laughs> well i tell my wife and my children i say i really don't care what people think if they're just saying something if someone says something and it's negative against what I'm doing, I need to examine it to see if I am unknowingly harming another. But if it's not about what I'm doing to someone else and it's negative, I don't have time for it. I just don't. I'm not going to feed on that. Yeah. We are what we consume. Yes. And so I'm not, I don't have time to, I don't take ownership of negativity. Uh, I grew up around negativity, and I left that behind me. Mm. And I say, I mean, it's a broad term, negativity. It's something that doesn't produce life and joy. I love that. Yeah. yeah. If it doesn't produce life and joy, put it behind you. We choose. I tell people, you know, it's about choice. Mm. If I were to put a plate before you with with your dog's defecation and say, eat it, you're going to say, absolutely, I'm not going there because <laughs> it's something that doesn't appeal to you. Yeah. So if something shouldn't appeal to you, something else is against your vision, then don't even entertain it, you know? So remain positive and, you know, feast at the table of like-mindedness. Thank you. You're welcome. I have two last questions. Okay. Hopefully they won't be too long-winded of answers. <laughs> where do you see this country going where we're headed? Not even just the country, just 
sort of the human society collective society i'm probably a somewhat of a mixed bag on that in that we i used the term minister so i when i say minister i was speaking from a spiritual perspective there's a lot of people we've been speaking on this subject a lot for a few years there's so many people from a Christian and under other faith-based mindsets that are very negative on the future. Society is polarizing more and more, and I believe there'll be a collapse of society. I'll qualify that, especially in the urban areas. Okay. Where people are focused on a non-sustainable lifestyle. The modern way of life is not sustainable. I know for years now, statistically, I understand that 50% of the people in America, the current young people, die by the age of 40 from heart disease or cancer. Wow. That's not sustainable. The way they're living in the city, stress, water, lack of water, fresh air, sunlight, green spaces with the oxygen, MSM, all the aspects that come from creation that are lacking in the city is not sustainable. So I see segments of society that aren't sustainable be collapsed, but I see, I believe prophetically speaking, that there's going to be an awakening in the in the Hebrew scriptures in the book of Deuteronomy 30th chapter. It says that through the blessing and the curse is tied to keeping father's instructions for life, people say law, whatever, instructions for life, that that in the end times is going to drive people, because there's people that are blessed, materialistically blessed with quotation marks, Mm -hmm. but are miserable. I like to use the analogy, sadly, of Whitney Houston, a beautiful woman, incredible voice, a lot of fame, materialistic stuff, but she died early and basically a drug overdose. So she basically killed herself. Yeah. You know, and the sad thing is that's experiencing what is called the blessing, but it becomes a curse because it wasn't tempered by father's design. So in the answer to your question, I believe there's going to be a polarization of people that are getting more immersed in an unsustainable way of life, spiritually and societal way, Mm -hmm. uh, physically, and those that are going to be moving to a more sustainable way, not just sustainability as it means lifestyle, but spiritually to have a newly awakened relationship with their creator and their father. And so, and I believe the scriptures show that at the fullness of that time, we're going to see cataclysmic events that uh, may come to a head. But it's exciting time to me because people are having to make a choice right now. Mm-hmm. They can't ride on the fence much longer. You're going to have to decide whether you're going to fall off on one side or on the other. Whether you're going to continue in a destructive way of life that society's headed into or whether you're going to get in a renewed way of life that is uh, ancient past, whether it's rest for your soul. So 
as far as if people are putting their hope in politics and government uh, that's making decisions for you, <laughs> then there's going to be more of 9-11, more of the pandemic, more of what's coming down the pike. I believe that there's great deception coming down the pike. Who would have thought three years ago that we would have saw what took place in 2020 from reasonable thinking, acting people. Yeah, I was What they would do too. to their own children. We have an adopted daughter who's now 22. It was in Honduras. She's Honduran, my best friend's daughter that died. We adopted her and our granddaughter at the time was six months old. And for seven months in Honduras, we weren't down there. You could leave your house, one person, every 15 days to go buy food. Anybody in public had to be masked. Our granddaughters, six months old, had to be masked in public or they could be arrested. And these are people that are normally logically free-thinking people. You know, this, to me, it's not... There's a lot of nefarious stuff. There's an agenda out there. Mm -hmm. But the agenda doesn't have to affect us. No. We can put ourselves in a way of life that doesn't have to rely upon a governmental societal system that can control you. So to me, that's what is known as sustainable. If, if you can't homestead and not live a life that is not controlled by government mandates, then you're not free. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, I know we're like-minded on that. We <laughs> both tried to disseminate information and people say, oh, they might react. I'm not worried about the powers of darkness that are out there because our family's head, our father's greater than those. So I let him take care of his responsibility. I don't even preoccupy myself <laughs> with Father Yawal's responsibility. Responsibility to be my almighty. That's not religion. That's just practical. I let him be the father. The children of my family, if they're about our family business, don't need to be saying, Daddy, please provide and protect me. That's my responsibility. Mommy, please mature, nurture me and love on me. That's her responsibility. And father loves in his own ways. So what we need to focus on is being Seeking obedient children in our father's house. Caring for those that don't see him as such. Yeah. And I think... I see that a lot of people will... Yeah. This year especially, will really start to see that fence that you were talking yes. about. And will make a choice and will be there to, to guide the ones that have chosen. Yeah, they could, you know, eyes are windows, windows to the soul. People can see in your eyes a lot, even when you're masked. And you could see the fear in people's eyes. And those mm -hmm. people that are living fearful behind a mask, when they saw people, the ones that are ready, that were fearful when they can see the countenance of someone that wasn't masked. I'm not saying not wearing a mask doesn't make you a nice counsel. Countenance. But the people that have the right perspective in life were not masking. They weren't walking in fear yeah. and idiocracy. 
So the people that were walking in that and they could see it in others, it spoke to them, I believe. And that's an opportunity we have. We're supposed to be uh, light on a hill. And that's, yeah. you know, light to our fellow Lighthouse. man. Yeah. In the darkness, the one thing, the only thing that can draw you out of that dark fear that only black darkness can do is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And that light at the end of the tunnel are people that I believe that are not walking in darkness. So it's an opportunity and yeah. a great responsibility. It is. You know, we're trying to prepare to be a light on a hill that cannot be hidden in this place is actually on top of a mountaintop. Yeah. You know, because we want to be a light on a hill. It's not to give credit to ourselves. Light on a hill that can't be hidden, as it says in Matthew 5 by Messiah, so that others will magnify their father. I don't want them to magnify Rock and I or our ministry. I want them to magnify the father in whose image they are created. Yeah, and his unconditional love. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, unconditional love within. He loves unconditionally, but he does have parameters of life that he operates in. Yeah. And uh, so he, you know, I love, we have some children that aren't walking like they're supposed to be in their life, and we love them, but we can't have them in our presence. For the safety of, for the sanity and safety of, of others around us. Sadly, about my own children. I'm hoping they will come out of that, and I think that's something we need to understand that there are expectations from our Father, even though yes. His love knows no limits. Yeah. I I'm thinking now of this story of the prodigal son, mm -hmm. and how he was welcomed home with open arms. Yeah, and the father didn't follow him out into the city where he was eating with the hogs. Yeah. Father stayed close to home and waited for the son to come home. He didn't chase him no. into his immature lifestyle. And that's one of our favorite proverbs. You know, it's, the father is excited and waiting for him. That's yeah. a deep love that the father didn't compromise who he was to always be there with his son. Yeah. You know, he let the sun go out. Yeah. And waited for the sun to come back. I do love that story. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Are you ready for the last question? I'm ready. <laughs> if you could tell the world just one thing, what would it be? That's a good question. that there's an identity crisis in this world that they don't understand what it means to be created in the very image of our Heavenly Father. People see themselves as sinners saved by grace rather than someone that was created to have life and death in the tongue. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with me today my pleasure <laughs> now you <laughs> it's been a real joy and we're excited for you and your family and i'm excited later on to hear results of your talking with my darling bride she's quite a woman yeah she's brilliant 
And I feel very emotional right now. That's okay. <laughs> that was a beautiful Thank message. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you, Shimei. You're welcome. Y'all all bless. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that. On the next episode, I will share my conversation with Shimei's wife, Rabka. That's a really beautiful episode. So stay tuned. There's a lot more to come. You can find me on wildflower.cloud. That's my website. And on Instagram as wildflower underscore on underscore tour wildflower on tour. Have a great week and I'll see you on episode three.